Welcome to 360 Conversations. This is a podcast featuring powerful conversations with busy women who are simplifying their lives, living intentionally, and creating space for everyday joy. I'm Tammy Thomas, and this is episode two. Today I'm with Lenise Brothers, who is a nutritional therapist that specialises with working with women. And um, I have worked with Lenise very briefly. We had a telephone consultation and that telephone consultation gave me an insight to some of the health issues I have going on. Um, in a way that was much more revelationary and useful than my sessions with my GP and um, she just really breaks things down in a way that is understandable, manageable and realistic Um, and one of the areas that Lenise works with that really interests me is perimenopause, perimenopause health, perimenopause nutrition and things that we can do to support our hormones um, so without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Lenise so she can introduce herself and tell us a little bit about what she does. Hey, Lenise. Uh, hi, thanks for having me on today. Oh, thank you for joining us. Um, so, yeah, so I, as you said in the introduction, I specialize in working with women who, who they really, they just want to get get better control on what's happening in their body. So they're finding that they're, they crave sugar all the time. They find that their energy is just really low oh. and they're having to just push through the day. They find that they're starting to have really bad mood swings and it's to the point where they're shouting at their kids all the time. They're shouting at their husbands and you know, they're, they're scared because mm. they feel like they're not themselves. And you know this, a lot of this oftentimes ties in with our reproductive hormones and so a lot of this ties into some of the issues that I deal with clients with in clinics so Mm -hmm. issues like um, heavy and painful periods fibroids PCOS endometriosis um, that postnatal depletion that happens to women after they give birth Mm -hmm. especially if they've given birth to two or more children with in short succession Mm-hmm. All all the way through to perimenopause and menopause, mm-hmm. and I think one of my guiding missions within my business is to help when women understand that they don't have to feel like this. Ooh. They don't. They deserve. And I remember saying this to you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, that you know that women deserve to live lives full of energy, full of pain-free, um, and feeling in control of what's happening mm-hmm. with their bodies. And the one of the, I think the foundation of this is education. Mm-hmm. So understanding what's happening in, in your body. And I'm not talking about, you know, getting deep into the science, although if that's your bag, then, you know, that would, that helps, mm-hmm. but just understanding basic things like you know for for our sex hormones and our menstrual cycles we have four phases Mm -hmm. and we have 
four different hormones that go up and down depending on what phase you are in your menstrual cycle. Understanding that the what are the symptoms of perimenopause and when you go to the doctor, um, not getting fobbed off with just a prescription for an antidepressant uh-huh. or um, the um, an or some sort of oral contraceptive or the coil, you know, being able to get the answers that you deserve from uh-huh. your doctor. Um, what led you to this path? Because you changed careers, didn't you? Y- yes, I did. So. Um, you know, everyone has a has a story, and my story is kind of long and winding. Mm-hmm. Where I, when I was a teenager, I suffered from pretty debilitating periods, mm-hmm. um, very painful, very heavy. Um, I suffered from anxiety and depression, and I, at that time, I just took a lot of painkillers. Mm-hmm. I was prescribed an antidepressant. And I kind of just muddled through. As a teenager? Then I became a... As a teenager, yeah. So the first then, sort of go-to was to prescribe you with an antidepressant? Yeah, yeah, wow. as a teenager. And then I became a vegetarian mm-hmm. because I thought, well, that uh, that's healthy, you know, and, you know, that's probably what I thought at the time was that that would be the healthiest choice for me. Mm-hmm. And... I kind of muddled through and then I realized kind of in my late 20s that what I was doing wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. And I started doing research and I, at that time I was working in advertising. I had, I'm Canadian, so I'd lived in London for about five years at that point. And I realized that, you know, what I was just doing to my body wasn't working. It's doing my research and I started eating meat again, became, became really interested in nutrition and the effect of, of it on the body. And then just, you know, just, I'm the type of person I love doing research. Mm-hmm. I love finding out more information, uh, which can be, it's frustrating and fascinating mm-hmm. equally. Um, and then I became pregnant with my son, and while I was on maternity leave, I, I think a lot of women probably relate to this, that feeling of, am I doing the right thing in mm-hmm. my job? Is this something that's going to work with having a child? And I had a conversation with my friend of, a friend of mine who said, well, Denise, what are you passionate about? And at the time I said, I don't know, but I thought about it and, you know, I thought, okay, you know, I'm really passionate about health, food, nutrition, Mm -hmm. exercise, and that led me to uh, retrain as a nutritional therapist. So that kind of long and winding road Mm -hmm. of leaving advertising, leaving a career that I was really passionate about and retraining freelancing while I was retraining and then setting up my own practice. Wow. So how old were you, if you don't mind me asking, when you did that? Because, well, well, there's a couple of things. I've spoken to a number of women who aren't satisfied with what they're doing, 
but because they think that, you know, they're now late 30s or in their 40s, they think they're too old now, they're established in their career, they're nervous about starting again and being able to um, maintain financial commitments um, if they, they come off that ladder. So how old were you and how did that feel? Um, I was, at the time, I was um, 33, mm -hmm. 30, 33 or 34, mm -hmm. and I, I, it was a big decision, and the decision I didn't make lightly, um, I, I, like, I guess I did it in a really gradual way, where I freelanced while I was retraining, mm -hmm. so I was I I went to college on the weekends, <clears throat> and wow. then I would work um, freelance in different advertising agencies, mm -hmm. um, three or four days a week, and then have one day with my son mm -hmm. um, in the week. So those three years that I was doing that was just very intense. Um, you know, I had to say no to a lot because. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew that I had, my plate was full. So mm -hmm. some of my friends, they were like, we haven't seen you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it definitely, I did it, I did it in a really gradual way mm -hmm. that worked for me. Um, but I knew it was something that I had to do. And I knew that if I thought, if I look 10 years in the future and I thought it, would I regret if I haven't done this, yeah. I knew that the answer would be yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel that totally. Um, and you said, um, well, there's, there's, gosh, there's quite a few things I've picked out of there. Firstly, the thing about being on maternity leave, that's quite interesting because the mothers I have spoken to for this podcast, um, that, that's a common thread that whilst on maternity leave, they started thinking about the choices they were making in terms of career, what they do to make money, um, doing something that they're passionate about. What is it about maternity leave and becoming a mother that leads women to have the, whether it's the confidence or the gumption to make this change? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I think it's the combination of things. It's firstly, you have a lot of time mm -hmm. to think when you're on maternity leave, you know, those times where you're uh, either feeding or breastfeeding your, your baby, you just, you know, you, well, a lot of women spend that time on their phones, but other times in the middle of the night, you just think mm -hmm. and you start thinking about your life and what you're doing, but also, in the UK, you know, you can get up to a year, a mm -hmm. year off, um, some paid, some statutory, depending on your situation. Mm -hmm. That gives you a lot of time to really look at your life and look at how you want to shape it. For some women, they, they want to go back to their jobs. They love what they do. Um, but other women, certainly a lot of the people I know, they start to weigh up what's the right thing for them you know can they can they work and see, still still see their children do they need to change careers you know what do they what do they need to do because it's almost like you're becoming a mother you're not necessarily becoming a new person mm -hmm. but you're it's a new part of your identity mm -hmm. that you have to reconcile with 
everything else. So you're going through that whole process and it caused, I think that one of the consequences of that is taking stock of everything else in your life, mm -hmm. including your, the way you, what, what sort of work you do. Mm -hmm. I agree totally. And I'm, I'm really thrilled and I actually do mean thrilled that you talked about um, maternity leave and having the time to really think because one of the underpinning sort of pillars of this brand is creating space or, or doing things that give you space to create everyday joy or to take note of everyday joy. And I think that we can't do that unless we get still and actually move people are going to get bored of this because I think I've said it on so many episodes but literally move from the edge of your life to the center of your life so that you can see and feel everything that's going on and I do think that maternity leave whilst it is very busy and draining in other ways you do have moments of time where you can literally just think and feel what is going on for you right now and what it is that you want and I guess also for some of us We'll also be thinking about the role models that we want to be for our children, um, as well as being able to have time with them. Like it all comes down to time and how you use your time. I, I totally agree. I think it's that time, it's creating space for yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see that a lot where women, we leave, we lead these incredibly busy lives mm -hmm. and, we often don't put ourselves first. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that classic example of um, a woman dishing up food um, and she serves herself last mm -hmm. and she often has this whatever's left over. Mm -hmm. And that I, what I see in my practice, it carries over into other parts of our lives and we don't give ourselves the time to take care of ourselves mm. and don't give our ourselves the time to really think and about what we're doing and make make the are the in question whether or not we're making the right choices mm -hmm. for ourselves and you know what you that that ex what you talk about in terms of everyday joy mm -hmm. i think it's so so important um i talk about it a lot as well in the context of self-care and you know, the idea that self-care, it may be a buzzword at the moment, yeah. but it's essential. Yes. And I I kind of hate the fact that it's trendy mm -hmm. because people, people are starting to feel negative about it. Mm -hmm. But self-care and everyday joy is about taking that time to do things that make you feel good mm -hmm. and do things that... Um, help you take care of yourself so whether that's as simple as having a bath and you know using some lovely epsom salts to relax to noticing the spring blossoms mm -hmm. that are on the trees you know instead of just rushing through yep. to the tube or to the pickup to you know on the school run yep. noticing all the beautiful flowers that are on the trees at the moment I'm telling you, you are speaking my language and that stuff can be really therapeutic because, for example, what you're talking about noticing the spring blossom, if there's a little bit of wind in the air and you are looking at that blossom in the tree moving 
ever so slightly or ferociously in the wind, whether you're doing it for 10 seconds or 10 minutes, that small chunk of time can be quite therapeutic because you're giving your brain a rest. You haven't, you're not thinking about all these million and one things that we think about all the time. So it can be almost meditative. Yes, I, I totally agree. In, you know, it's the noticing the, the flowers, noticing the blossoms, but also, you know, listening to the bird song. Mm. And all of these things, they take, we, we operate in this, in this high stress state. And all of these little things take us down to allow us to reduce our stress, mm-hmm. allow us to digest open up our brains to, you know, away from our to-do list, Mm -hmm. allows us to even breathe better, to digest our food better. Woman, woman, woman. I went to, um, I went to, I I have one-to-one yoga classes with a lady local to me who is absolutely wonderful. Um, Big up Marla, feel good yoga. And um, one of the first sessions I had with her, we were literally just talking about breathing. And she was just talking about the fact that we don't know how to breathe anymore. We're not breathing properly, which leads to a lot of our ailments. Um, And I was like, wow, a simple, fundamental, well, not even fundamental. If we haven't got breath, we haven't got life. Yeah. I'll say that again. If we haven't got breath, we haven't got life. Yet we don't know how to breathe. Mm because we're rushing around. And when I had my session with you at the end of last year, it came at a really pivotal time because that was quite an emotionally challenging time for me. And when you said in our session, um, when I was talking about feeling fatigued and all that sort of stuff, um, when you said you have a right to feel energised, that stopped me in my tracks because I really bought into this narrative that adulthood is tiresome and that you're tired and you push through and to actually take a moment to think well actually no if you're living in a way that is supportive because a lot of what you talk about are things that support us to live better lives whatever that means to the individual but if you're not living in a way where you are able to support yourself because we think about support as being like paying bills on time and financially supporting ourselves. But if you're not living in a way the way you can support yourself, then you are going to be tired and that will become your norm. But that norm isn't normal. That's just becoming comfort- comfortable in discomfort. Yeah, comfortable in discomfort. Wow. That, yeah. But I that's mean, what we're doing. Yeah. And we think that, um, like, there are lots of, there are times I'll have conversations um like after having my conversation with you and understanding the difficulties with my immune system and how that filters through and impacts so many different things, um, I don't fall into the trap of um, feeling bad that I didn't go to the gym, for example, because I was too tired. Because there are some people that go to the gym when they're tired and they feel energised. But what I understood from my session with you doing further investigation and speaking with my GP is that with my current profile, pushing through and going to the gym when I'm tired is the worst thing that I can do. And that in fact, with the further reading I've been doing, I shouldn't be doing high cardiovascular exercise at the moment. Everything that I should be doing should be on restoration. So we listen to 
what they say and we apply it to ourselves even though it doesn't fit because we think that that's what's supposed to happen like I was baffled by the fact that I actually believed that I was supposed to be tired because I'm busy and therefore I'm valuable oh yeah I mean (laughs) (laughs) I I what you're saying there is just you know I hear that I hear it so much women rushing around believing that you know busyness is the answer Ooh. having these huge to-do lists are the answer and you they get at the they get to the end of the day and they have nothing left to give nothing and they but then they don't they don't take care of themselves they don't go to bed early they are not eating eating right they're persisting with cardio which you know when you're when you have a uh, when your immune system is run down you you that's the worst thing that you can do and yoga is as you know is just it's so powerful mm. it's so restorative but it's also an incredible workout and you know it incorporates that breathing and you learn through this sort of body work whether mm-hmm. it's yoga whether it's pilates you learn that actual small gentle movements can be just as effective and just as powerful yep. as doing a 45 minute uh, body pump class mm-hmm. and busyness isn't the answer nope. and I would encourage your listeners to take a step back and really look at what they're saying yes to and ask themselves, you know, are they saying yes because they feel that they need to, that they feel that they that they need to be busy? Yeah. Ask themselves, why, why do they feel that they need to be busy? Mm-hmm. You know, what are they, what are they, now, what are they trying to prove to others? What are they trying to prove to themselves? And then realize that saying no, and I'm not, it's say no, yes, is a complete sentence, mm-hmm. but I think it's rude if you just yeah, no. say Bye. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's about how can you say no to things, but obviously say things and say no in a polite way. Yeah. But say no things that to things that, aren't bringing you joy that are causing you to be run down yeah. and aren't, aren't, you know, aren't not necessarily bringing you any benefit, yeah. but are killing your spirit. Oh girl, drag us, drag us <laughs> all. Because we get so, so wrapped up in that. Even like, for example, I noted when you wrote down, when you spoke about being, um, vegetarian realizing it wasn't working for you and starting to eat meat meat again so that that choice again so lots of things that I read and hear and have discussions with people about um, when it comes to health and nutrition straight away meat dairy wheat they are the enemy but you've actually said and one of the recommendations you made for me actually was about having good quality meat Um, you actually talked about adding meat back into your diet because being a vegetarian wasn't working. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So one, one of the kind of 
pillars of what I do is it's all about personalized nutrition mm -hmm. and lifestyle recommendations. And I never give any client the same recommendation as I give another client. It's always personalized to the client because when it comes to everyone's lives are different, mm. their genetics are different, their health history is different, their backgrounds are different. So I, something that works for me wouldn't necessarily work for you. Mm -hmm. So, and that's something that I often get frustrated with, with the one size fits all yeah. health advice that you see in the media, because some people are natural vegetarians mm. and that works for them and their bodies thrive on not having any meat. Some people are natural vegans. They can eat, they can plan um, their meals well so they know that they're getting all of their essential nutrients mm -hmm. and they thrive. Um, for me personally, I was a terrible vegetarian. Mm. Um, I didn't eat properly. I, it, and actually that contributed to my anxiety, contributed to my depression. It contributed to uh, my heavy periods because I was terribly anemic just because I wasn't planning, I didn't plan my diet yeah. effectively. And so I, I really think that, you know, it's easy to go to dogma and say that meat is bad and no one should eat meat. But I think that you can, for some people, they should eat meat and they should just focus on eating the best quality meat that they can afford mm -hmm. within, within their budgets. And you can eat meat in a sustainable way. So know, know who your local butchers are, know your local farms, make sure that you're eating meat that is, if you can afford it, meat that is free range, that mm -hmm. it's grass fed, organic, and not eating meat every day, mm -hmm. but eating it in a way that a couple of times a week, three, four times a week, so that you know that you're getting the nutrients that you need that help fuel you, mm -hmm. give you energy and make you feel good. Mm -hmm. um, and then I say the same for wheat and for dairy. It's, uh, we hear a lot at the moment about being gluten-free. Mm -hmm. And yes, some people absolutely should not have any form of gluten. Um, you know, there are a lot of people with autoimmune conditions, mm -hmm. um, like celiac, like rheumatoid arthritis, like um, ulcerative colitis, you know, these mm -hmm. autoimmune conditions that eating when you have gluten, they can contribute to um, them worsening. Mm -hmm. And, but for some people, they can have a slice of bread and be absolutely fine so again it's you know it's not about it's about listening to your body and knowing what works for you and what's right for you mm. if you eat bread and it makes you feel bloated and you know makes you feel tired well maybe you need to look at that yeah. you know your body is trying to tell you something it's the same for dairy you know a lot of people um, are cutting out dairy at the moment but they're not replacing placing what you get from dairy with other things mm -hmm. so
you know, you can get a lot of people think, oh, dairy, calcium, but you can get a lot of calcium from plant-based sources um, with wheat, with gluten. You know, wheat is a great source of B vitamins. So if you're not eating wheat, Mm -hmm. you need to make sure you're getting your B vitamins from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, it's just kind of to summarize this section, it's just, it's about what's right for you, yeah. what's right for your body, um, and not listening to the kind of health dogma mm-hmm. that is out there at the moment. It's about what makes your body feel good. Yeah, and I, I get that in that I know that um, organisation, when it comes to things like meal planning, that's just the moment I say that, it just takes all the joy out of food. So if I Mm. was to become vegan, for example, I'm quite sure that I would be keeling over quite quickly because of the lack of organisation, really. So I think rather than pressure myself or other people pressurising themselves to fit in with what has sadly become a trend, that we really need to look inwards and focus on ourselves and what we need and plan around that in a way that's realistic. Yeah. 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 Um, I can I can adopt that very easily. Well, no, not very easily actually, because it's changing a habit. But um, you talk a lot, or oh, something that I really love about um, being connected with you on social media is that you talk a lot about self care, but you talk about it. Um, so self-care trend, I would say, that I see is often talking about things like um, having a nice bath with candles, um, like doing something that you're applying to yourself, if you get yeah. what I mean. Um, and what I like, I, and I think that there's a place for that. It's valid. We need to do it. And, um, you know, it can lead to deeper, more, um, I guess psychological mental health for lack of a better um description but you talk a lot about um self-care in a way that supports us as women through all the changes that we experience so I think that and I'm just talking about my own personal experience I think that women we experience a lot more changes than men do and um I'm not sure that we really take stock of how big those changes are. So just at the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about the four phases of hormonal change within our monthly cycle. Yeah. See, that's not something that I knew about or had considered. I just know that in the run up to my period, I'm craving sugar, um, I get hungrier and my body odor is stronger. um, And that sometimes I'm moodier or I can get angry quicker um but i didn't know that there were four phases um so could you first of all tell us more about nutrition and mental health because you talk about nutrition and self care in terms of supporting us through and reducing things like anxiety depression and things like that. So could you tell us a bit about how nutrition can support mental health and then talk about the four phases of hormonal change? Yeah, sure. sure. So 
nutrition is so important for our mental health, not only, you know, from on a basic level where, you know, people talk about you are, you are what you eat, Mm. but also you are what you absorb. So what I mean by that is a lot of people, they aren't, they might be eating, eating well, but they're not necessarily absorbing all the nutrients that Mm. they get from their foods. And that can cause um, issues. So if you're not, for example, if you're not absorbing enough B6, um, it can contribute to low serotonin production. And serotonin is your happy hormone. Right. Um, And, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of work at the moment being done around gut health. Yes. And the idea that you know we're we have billions of billions of bacteria on our body and that's a good thing because these bacteria they're on our skin they're in our stomachs they're all over us but they contribute to so many functions within our body Mm. one of the they contribute to our immune health they also contribute to our mental health Mm -hmm. and you know you're 70% of your immune system is in your gut. You produce a lot of your serotonin, that happy happy hormone, in your gut. And there is what's called the gut-brain access. Yes, I've heard about that. Yeah. So what you eat can have a really supporting this serotonin production can contribute to good mental health. And... I know that, you know, if I'm personally, if I'm not eating well, I will see my anxiety start to creep up. Mm. If I'm drinking a lot of alcohol, my anxiety will start to creep up Mm -hmm. Um, because alcohol is a toxin. Our body will prioritize getting rid of this toxin over uh, all of its other functions. Right. And alcohol strips it reduces the amount of B6 that our our bodies absorb. And we need B6 to produce serotonin. Right. So, you know, there's all, everything in our bodies are connection, are connected mm-hmm. and nothing works in isolation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some people, I, and I, I really want to be clear that I'm not against conven- conventional medicine. Yeah. It absolutely has a role. And I understand that, you know, I have taken antidepressants in the past and they worked for me until they didn't work for Mm -hmm, me. mm -hmm. And then I had to look at the bigger picture. And so nutrition and mental health, they're hugely connected. And it's about what we eat. It's also about what we drink and Mm -hmm. what we don't drink. And, you know, in this country, uh, alcohol consumption is fairly high and you just thinking about women and mothers this idea of wine o'clock oh my gosh <laughs> that really gets on my nerves <laughs> it really does and you know they create this habit of this habit of having a glass of, or two of wine when they when you're putting the kid kids to bed or with dinner and that 
that wine, if it becomes a daily habit and it starts to creep up. I was going to say it creeps up so easily because I know people who easily it's half a bottle. Yeah. And for women especially, it can be incredibly damaging, not only in terms of mental health and, you know, that lack of absorption of key nutrients, but it also in terms of hormonal health, where I mentioned that alcohol, our body treats alcohol as a toxin. Mm-hmm. And for women, we, we metabolize our sex hormones through our livers. And if we're, if we're drinking a lot of alcohol, mm-hmm. it means that our livers are not doing everything else they're supposed to be doing. Right. And so that's where you get a lot of women, if they have hormonal issues, alcohol exacerbates these issues. Right. So, you know, you have heavy and painful periods, PMS, you have, you know, women with PCOS, endometriosis. Can it affect your libido as well? Uh, well, you know, alcohol is a depressant. It's an inhibitor, but it's also a depressant. So it's, you know, I think it depends on the person. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, it is, it, it does inhibit you in terms of you may do more than you would if you were sober. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, you know, are you going to have your most powerful orgasm when you're when you're drunk? Probably not. Right. Um, Essential information, people. I hope you're taking <laughs> notes. <laughs> and please don't get me wrong. Like I do like red wine. I do like to have a drink. But what I've noticed as I am getting older is that it takes more work for my body to process that and me to so say for example I go out and I have more than I would ordinarily drink I'm not it doesn't take me one day to recover it takes me a little while and I might not even have a hangover but I will have like a foggy head feeling I will feel really slow um and quite drained so a lot now I just feel like it's just not even worth it yeah and that's quite common um we just we have enzymes that help us um, metabolize alcohol and they decrease as we get older. Mm-hmm. So that's that's quite common okay. that, you know, the hangovers, they just start to get worse. And, you know, what you could do in your 20s, you just can't do in your 40s. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you can't. Um, and then just all of this connects into the four phases of, our menstrual cycle yep. where, you know, you have that week right before you, you have your period and that's the luteal phase where you tend to have, um, your hormones just start to, they, they increase and that's where you start to experience the PMS, right. the mood swings, the cravings. And I, I, something that I talk about a lot is for women to know that this this doesn't have to be normal. You know, this isn't, this isn't the way that we're supposed to live. Wow. We're not, PMS isn't normal. It's a sign that your body's giving you that something is out of balance. But they said that's what happens. That's what they said. Yeah. And it's, you know, just like 
pain, painful periods aren't aren't normal. They you 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 shouldn't have a painful period, and that you might have a little bit of discomfort. Yeah, but for you to the crippling pain, it's not normal. And if anyone listening to this is experiencing that sort of period, I would encourage you to go to your doctor. Right. Because it's not normal to have to constantly be taking norepinephrine, mm-hmm. three or four norepines every day throughout your period. It's not normal to have to, um, you know, wear a tampon and a pad throughout your period. Right. You know, that's a sign that heavy bleeding is a sign that something is going on. And I know... You know, there's a lot of talk at the moment about, you know, not period shaming and not, you know, not saying what a normal period it is. Mm -hmm. But I tell you from my professional point of view that pain isn't normal and heavy bleeding is not normal. And he's telling you something. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So you, you know, all of these phases of our menstrual cycle they feed into each other Mm -hmm. and at every point your hormones are going up and down your sex hormones are going up and down and there you you can do things with your lifestyle to get and your food to get things back into balance Mm -hmm. and um i just want to say it again there is a narrative in our society that women are hormonal women are ruled by their hormones women get crazy just before their periods women should be experiencing pain and that's normal and i really want to say that that's not true and it doesn't have to be like that we don't have to live like that this is really powerful for me um these conversations that i'm having with these wonderful women from all sorts of walks of life, there are common themes. And in you talking about women, this narrative of us being hormonal, about, you know, basically it's like our hormones come along and take control of us. I've had conversations with women who have talked about, not in these words, I'm paraphrasing, but they've talked about um, when they realised that they were kind of coasting through life rather than in control of their life and I'm not talking about in some kind of like control freak megalomaniac way but actually steering their ship how gently they need to at times and if they need to sort of like brace themselves and steer a bit harder because there's some turbulence they do that Um, but what you're saying again it's that theme of being in control of your life not just coasting through because if you are starting, if you have the knowledge, and that's again, we, we're sold these narratives, we don't have the knowledge. I didn't know that your, a painful period, really heavy periods were um, a sign that something is not working to its best ability. I thought that that was normal. Knowing that now, I can have some control over that by really considering and not in a really sort of draining the joy out of food kind of way but really being more considerate about what i'm eating and when Uh, yeah i i mean i i i love hearing that because 
food is joy. Food can be so pleasurable. Absolutely. And thinking about what you're going to eat and having like not having some sort of structure around what you're eating and not in a very controlling way can be hugely beneficial. Mm-hmm. And it's as simply can be simply things like, okay, at certain times a month, I should be focusing on this sort of food. Mm-hmm. And then just adding that into your diet and knowing that that having those foods in your diet are, are going to benefit you. And for some people that can work for yeah. other women, they love, they need that structure and they love that structure. Yeah. You know, that idea of meal prepping on the weekend or mm-hmm. meal planning, it really, really works for them because yeah. that's where they feel in control. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say that, you know, we, we have women, women, we have hormones, we have sex hormones, but we don't have to be ruled by them. Mm. We can be in control of them. And I want, and also just in, in the context of perimenopause, I think this is really important because this is another transition that women go through. Before you and talk about the nutrition, can you just tell people who may not be familiar what perimenopause is? Oh yeah, okay. So perimenopause is that phase of your life and it generally happens in kind of mid 40s, mm-hmm. mid to late 40s, where your ovaries, they start gradually start to produce less estrogen. Mm-hmm. And for some women, they go through this transition into menopause and it's fine. They kind of just sail through it. But for other women, it really hits them. And there are, there are symptoms. Perimenopause is, it, as a phase of our lives, is only just starting to really be recognized. Yes. And it's, but it's so, it can be so damaging to some women because they start to feel really tired. They have brain fog. They, their energy is really low. They, their hair starts to fall out. Yep. Um, it's those symptoms of menopause, but in not as severe. Mm-hmm. And they come in their, in their mid to late 40s and they just think, what is going on? Why, why do I feel like this? And I think it's really a, to really stop and think, when am I feeling like this? Because something that I talk a lot of, talk about a lot with my clients is understanding when you feel like this and being able to differentiate it from your PMS. Mm-hmm. So that week before your period, or are you experiencing these symptoms all the time? Mm-hmm. And it's the mood swings and the sugar cravings that I find that uh, are quite, they women get shaken by that Mm -hmm. they feel like i'm shouting all the time i'm angry all the time something that five years ago would have just just sailed off of my shoulders uh, i get enraged by and they think why why am i feeling like this all throughout the month when my period isn't 
coming, what is going on? Mm -hmm. And so being able to, this is a phase of our lives and it's a transition um, where your body is just starting to change. And I think there's the physical transition where you have the physical symptoms, but there's also a mental transition as well Mm -hmm. that I don't think gets talked about enough. None of it does. I hear talk about the menopause. I hear talk about starting your period. I hear talk about difficulties associated with periods, but this perimenopause, I don't hear about it. And I think that this is a sort of theme because I don't really hear that much apart from, you know, that old life begins at 40, that sort of thing. I don't really hear that much about things that affect women in their 40s. We're always focused on youth or we're panicking about being elderly. But we have a huge chunk in the middle where what we need to talk about is not being talked about. We're talking about chasing youth and reducing wrinkles and preventing fine lines, but we're not talking about what we can do to support our body as we experience another, like we have our changes that we experience all the time, like you're talking about the four phases of hormonal change, we have our periods, you know, some of us might have children, all the rest of it, but we don't talk about this really huge transitional period. Yeah, and I think that lack of discussion contributes to a lack of understanding Yeah, where women, they just... They just don't know what's going on mm. and it's, they get frustrated and they go to their GPs and I, I've heard many women say, my doctor didn't take me seriously. They, you know, they've said it's all in my head. Mm. Like, can you imagine someone I telling know. you that? Making you walk out of there feeling like you've got some other issue when actually it's, your body's natural transition beginning. Yeah. yeah. And somebody else said something to me actually, and I was like, whoa, I wasn't ready for that. I was at a yoga class and um, I was talking about the idea behind my brand and we were talking about perimenopause. And um, the lady I was talking to, she's um, in a relatively new relationship. She um, was like 46 or something. She's been in her relationship for three years and she was saying that nobody prepared her for the fact And when she said this, I didn't know what to do with myself because I wasn't expecting it. But she said nobody prepared her for the fact that she would really enjoy sex and enjoy sex more, but needed lubricant because she wasn't producing moisture, her own lubrication, because of being perimenopausal. Yeah. So that, yeah, and that goes, that connects with ovaries producing gradually producing less estrogen so for some reason women that can cause vaginal dryness but that doesn't mean that we have to stop having sex Mm. it just means that okay find a nice non-toxic lubricant Mm -hmm. that allows you to enjoy sex Mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't mean that we have to stop enjoying sex Mm -hmm. and that's something that i would love to see change is this narrative that women become less vital and become less sexy Mm -hmm. as we get older Mm -hmm. because 
we know it's just simply not true. Absolutely. I mean, you look at, you know, look at Angela Bassett. Oh, my gosh. I've always loved her. And that woman is the epitome of fine wine. Yeah. She's just like, she's incredible. Mm -hmm. And you look, look at someone like Helen Mirren. Mm -hmm. She's in her 70s. Mm -hmm. She looks incredible. Yeah. And you would not, you, you would laugh at someone who said that she wasn't sexy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gosh, the list. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, um, her, Judy Dench. Mom. Oh my gosh, and her mum. And her mum. Yeah, um, yeah uh, uh, Judy Dench. There are so many people, um, and it's not just this black don't crack thing. There mm. are people of all backgrounds who you can, and I think maybe our ideas of what is sexy. No, it doesn't need to change because it's all relative. But there are women out there who are aging as their bodies are. And they look magnificent just as they are. They're not squeezing themselves into bodycon and trying to look like somebody who is in their 30s. They're looking at like themselves where they are at that time. And it just oozes sexiness and all the things that make humans attracted to other humans for me anyway yeah i i agree i think that we we need to stop this narrative that sexy is about being in your 20s mm -hmm. because that's it's a different sort of sexy yeah it's you know you're you're young you're you know you've got lots of energy but that doesn't have to be that energy it grows as you get older mm -hmm. and you become sexier in, in different ways. Yeah. And you almost knowing yourself and, you know, as you get older, you just, you just, I just find that you know yourself yes. so much more, you know, your boundaries. Oh, that's what and... came into my mind. Lenise, this is telepathy. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you know what you're going to take and what you're not going to take mm -hmm. and you don't you, and you find just bringing it back to you know your theme about every everyday joy I think you know if you're knowing your personal boundaries you find ways to say no to things mm -hmm. that don't bring you joy yeah and you don't feel like you have to be everything to everyone finger snaps finger snaps <laughs> totally it's so liberating it, oh, it is. It's liberating. And I, I think what's really interesting is the idea that just in that theme of not being everything to everyone, and it also goes into friendships too, because you have, I read something recently that said that, you know, this quote, you, you have friends for a reason and a season. Mm -hmm. And friendships I find I'm certainly finding as I get older, they become more and more important. Yes. But it's about having the right friendships. Yes. Yes. Resoundingly. Yes. And I think when you're um, younger, um, whether it's that you've got the energy or 
you're faster paced but it's like it's just having friends and that friendship didn't work it work out you see all these posts on social media about cutting out toxic people onto the next onto the next making more friends more friends more friends um well sometimes you're the toxic person actually so sometimes you need to slow down and have a look at yourself Mm. but I think that as you get older you're a bit more considered about what your friendships mean to you not necessarily what they bring to the table because that concept I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with that because it makes me feel like people have to have like a tangible purpose and sometimes some of my friendships are based on they're based on history because lots of my friendships are really really old um but they're also based on the fact that I know that even if that person gets on my last nerve sometimes I'm safe it's a safe space and I'm hoping that they feel that I too am a safe space but I also am old enough to know that that particular safe space may not give me what I need in another area of my life so instead of feeling like um, disappointed because that person didn't support me in my work endeavour I know that that friendship isn't about my work endeavour if you get what I mean yeah I understand what you mean and probably you know reason friends for reasons and for seasons maybe it's a bit blunt but (laughs) (laughs) I I think that you know I think I think back to my own life and you know I have had friends in the past they were perfect for that moment yes and they were perfect um for who I was in that moment. Mm-hmm. But then as I changed and I transitioned to a new phase of my life, mm-hmm. uh, I had to really question question those friendships. Yeah. And it's not, for me, it wasn't about cutting out toxic people. It was just, and saying bye to people, but it was just about saying, well, you know, my I've changed. Yeah. And, you know, I can't, be be the same person that this person wants me to be yes I can so relate to that yeah the friendship it tran- transitioned yeah. into something else yeah or you know in some cases it just petered out yes and but I told I so relate to what you said about you know you've got friends who have known you for such a long time and you can be be who you are mm-hmm. and you, you know, they can get on your nerves, but, you know, you know that you can just check them. Yeah. And... It's like a sibling almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and I, and just talking about, you know, representations in the media, I think what I love at the moment is seeing these films out like Girls Trip, like Bad Moms mm-hmm. of women above the age of 30 these groups of women having like vital friendships and fun yeah and fun yeah yeah no totally I think about um I think about my girlfriends um so I've, I've got various friends um but if, if you were to ask anybody who my friends are they would say three key people as well as others but three that I've been friends with since being a teenager and um we have a lot of fun together. I think that we could do things to have 
fun in different sort of environments. But one of the things that I absolutely adore them for, it's that fun where you lose yourself in that moment in time because you're just immersed in that fun. And it's that fun that comes with knowing people so well like I don't have to say anything, you know what I'm saying. There's a Nena Cherry song and um, uh, she says, you know what I'm saying, don't make me say it. Kisses in the wind, <laughs> kisses in the wind. And um, my friends, those ones, it's like that. So sometimes our fun is almost intuitive and telepathic. And that is so important to me. But we don't really talk about that fun we get stuck in talking about like um this person really supportive i can go to them and i've got problems blah 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 but i'm 40 and i still want my friendships to be play like i want my like my bona fide brethren i want that to be playful still mm, yeah and you know with and i think that's i think it's so powerful for for women to be able to have that fun and you know, yes, having women that tend and then nurture you mm -hmm. is really important. And you need those people, those nurturing people in your yes. life. But you also need to just be able to laugh yes. and have fun and just feel free mm. of the to-do list and everything else that's going on in our life. And just yeah. have that moment where it's just unbridled joy yes Ooh, unbridled <laughs> joy yes here for it yeah no definitely but also we we do have to be mindful that some friendships we shouldn't hang on to just because of history and whatever else because they need to change they're no longer serving us as we are now and something that i have also experienced is having to really be boundaried and change my interactions with people because regardless of my action right now they're still stuck in who i was we were 10 years ago and I've moved on from that and I'm no longer connecting with it for whatever reason but they are having difficulty appreciating and understanding that I've evolved um, and therefore it can become a little bit toxic in that it's almost like well who do you think you are or they're just not paying attention and want to draw you into things that you're no longer interested in. And, you know, what's interesting about that is, you know, you talked about the idea of knowing your boundaries and putting boundaries on these friendships. And sometimes people don't even realize what they're doing, mm. you know, and part of, you know, I want to say age, but also it's part of maturity yep. is being able to say to these people, listen, I don't know if you realize, but you're doing X, Y, and Z and it's not working for me and giving them the opportunity to say oh maybe i you know i didn't realize i was doing that i'm so sorry um and that's kind of it almost is a mature counterpoint to this yeah. get cutting out toxic yes. people yeah you can't to, just be walking around snip snip snipping people just it doesn't not that it, uh, yeah you're not giving them the opportunity to you're not holding the mirror up for them to see whether or not there's something in that mirror that they may want to alter 
Yeah, holding the mirror up, that's really interesting. Uh, but it also gives them, you have to be ready for them to hold the mirror up to you. Denise, <laughs> <laughs> this is the end. Bye. <laughs> Go. It's true. It's true. It is true. It is true. Gosh, I'm saying that so many times because I know when that mirror was held up to me in a number of ways, I ended up having a bloody existential crisis. I was like, fucking hell, is that me? Mm. I didn't even know. I was totally oblivious. And there were some bits which were absolutely magnificent, but there were some bits that I was like, girlfriend, you need to own your shit. Like, you need to own this because then you can do something about it or you can choose to carry on in ignorance. But once you're faced with that mirror, you either hide from it or you look into it. And I'd had lots of years of having mirrors held up to me, but I hid from the mirror. And I think the beauty of maturity for me is that I stood still and I looked in that mirror and scooped up all of those bits that I was pretending weren't there and I have not felt as emotionally stable and emotionally connected to myself since I've started to actually look at that mirror properly and own the bits that I've avoided. Because I can do something about them a bit and I can own it. I'm not saying that I've got to constantly be working and chipping away at things, but I'm aware of something so I can do something about it. And I appreciate myself so much more um, because I'm looking at myself as, you know, that 360 degree view. I'm looking at myself as an entire person rather than turning away from what some may consider to be the shadows and living half a life. Mm. Wow. That's like, that is so powerful. It, it, it really is. And I'm saying that with my feet firmly on the ground because that enabled my feet to get firmly on the ground. So it's, it's, it's magical. And that all came because I was under this guise. Like I've, I've always... Well, for as long as I can remember, I've loved the idea of 40 and I really bought into this idea that life begins at 40 and I just coasted there. No consciousness, no thinking about things, just drifting and then got to 40, being really excited about it. When the excitement settled, I was like, oh, my goodness, this isn't how I want to feel. This isn't what I want to see. And then starting to look at myself and realising that there's no way I could have made that transition to that magical place I thought it was going to be because I hadn't done anything to prepare for it. I hadn't really considered myself in my entirety. So how was I then going to bask in this unlimited sunshine that just comes on when you turn 40? Um, And I I wrote a post on Instagram where I was talking about um, uh, something about constant rebirth and lots of periods of having green shoots. What I didn't realise is that It's not that this was this new magical place. It was another stage. 
but you know even I, I've never been interested in computer games but you know when you play a computer game you've got to complete that level before you can get on to the next level because completing that level prepares you for the next level I wasn't comp completing emotionally the previous levels and then you got to 40 and then it wasn't what you expected it was going to be it wasn't what I expected it was going to be no I didn't all I thought was it was going to be magical. I didn't really have an expectation. I didn't really, if you were to ask me what I wanted it to be like, I might have been able to tell you on a material sense and I could tell you very clearly what I didn't want. But for mm. me to tell you what I did want, that would have been, I would have been, um, um, and in having the crisis, I'm calling it a crisis and doing air quotations, but having a point where I was feeling really low gave me the opportunity to actually embrace that Einstein saying about doing the same thing constantly and expecting different results is the definition of insanity or something. And I thought, well, I might be feeling low at the moment, but I don't have anything cognitively wrong. Why are you doing this to yourself? So rather than think, thinking I'm 40, so I should have this thing, I should have that thing, I should have this tangible thing. I just had to strip back and think, well, how do you want to feel? Because, you know, on a um, sort of uh, material level, you're always going to be fine. You're always going to be OK. You will never be under OK. You will always have the basics. So what do you need from thinking about surviving to be able to thrive in whatever that means right now? So I just had I shifted my focus from I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do the other, I shifted it from that to this is how I want to feel. And whether this is how I want to feel because I'm 40 or whether this is how I want to feel because I'm a human being, I don't know, I think it's because I'm a human being at this phase. But yeah, I didn't really, I didn't have, I, I wasn't, I, I was doing what we do with our hormones. I was just letting whatever else take control. And it, what's so fascinating about what you just said is that, you know, it feels like it, I, it, 40 is this magical number and there's this expectation that we get to 40 and we'll know ourselves and we'll, achieve, we'll have achieved everything that we have been striving for. Yeah. And in our 30s, the career, the the home, yep. the, you know, what sort of, whatever sort of relationship you want, mm -hmm. if you want kids, all of that will have been done and dusted mm -hmm. in, in our thirties. And then by the time we get our, to our forties, it's like, okay, now comes a phase of life where I know myself mm -hmm. and I'm open and it, it doesn't work like that. And, you know, you have to prepare yourself and you have to ask yourself the, the difficult questions and, I, and I think some of that, you know, is down to what we see in the media mm. where it's all about, you know, these shows with career women and, you know, they're striving, they're achieving, but then what happens in our, our forties? And, you know, it's interesting, look, you know, what I'm thinking is sex in the city. It's this narrative of friendship and careers and, yeah. you know, then, but then what the show that Sarah Jessica Parker is on now, Divorce, it's just like, okay, what happens in your 40s and your 50s when things 
don't turn out like what you expected. Mm. You know, what happens when you, all of these material things, as you say, have been achieved, but then things go wrong? I'm nodding. <laughs> Profusely, yes, indeed. There's no, that we, we're not talking about that. So we sleepwalk into something and then crash, bang, wallop. No wonder we have bloody uh, midlife crisis. It's, we sleepwalk into our 40s with this expectation that we'll know ourselves, but then we get hit with, you know, the, like you had that realisation that, well, actually I'm 40 and now what? Mm-hmm. But then we get hit with the these physical changes that we're not, no one talks about. Yes. No one is, we're not prepared for. Yes. And I think what you're doing is so powerful because we need to be talking about about this. We need to be showing society that women in their 40s have a voice, that we're vital, and that, um, you know, things do change, but we can handle that change. But we just need to know what the, the changes are so we can handle them. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And we just don't talk about that enough. You know, that lady who randomly was talking about needing lubrication, that was the first time I'd, I'd had that discussion. Um, hearing my friends talking about things like, you know, grey hair sprouting in places that we hadn't really given much consideration to because we were focused on the grey hairs that were visible that everybody could see. And even things like our waning, well, waxing and waning energy levels, but still buying into this narrative that you've got to keep going, you've got to push through, even though what you're being told by your body is that push through means something else now. Push through. Um, So my yoga teacher, I was talking about doing cardio and she was going on at me again about like not listening to myself. She said, why do you think that you can't achieve cardio within yoga? It's not just about holding these poses for a long time. And so she um, was asking me to go from um, like a plank position to downward dog continuously. And I was out of breath really quickly. She said, that's cardio, but it's still yoga. And I was like, okay, so my push through now looks like that as opposed to doing a steep incline on the treadmill Mm. because that no longer suits what my body's telling me about where I'm at at the moment. And I also say that it's also about acknowledging this feminine energy that we have. Oh, (laughs) girl. Yes. You know, these narratives of striving, achieving and constantly pushing through. Yeah. It doesn't connect with well, it's very testosterone isn't it yeah and but even that even even with testosterone you men have have peaks and troughs in their male sex hormones mm. um and you know they have the andropause so it's not as pronounced as the menopause but they still have it i didn't and know that, that yeah that's something that's not really dis- discussed but with women, we still have we have these four phases of our menstrual cycles, and where we have to acknowledge that our feminine, you know, by the our our bodies are 
at certain points in our in the month are demanding that we connect with our feminine energy and mm. that means taking a step back so the week before your period where you are if you're experiencing pms um low mood uh low energy your body is telling you something if during your, the week of your period you have low energy you feel tired your body is telling you something so that's probably not the week where you want to be doing loads of cardio yeah that's probably the week where you want to take a step back maybe go for a walk maybe yeah. do some light like yin yoga yeah maybe that's not the time for some a powerful ashtanga yoga class yeah and it all goes all the way into um the perimenopause and menopause acknowledging that feminine energy acknowledging that we are going through a change and it's a transition and there's that emotional side of mm. being able to accept that we it's a transition of life and life doesn't end it just changes gosh exactly exactly that's so potent it really is it's uh it's something that i w- i want more people to talk about because we this energy that we have as women is so powerful mm. and we in the workplace in we've kind of gone into this narrative of behaving like men and striving like men mm-hmm. and you know taking it back to the beginning of our conversation with with the with maternity leave mm-hmm. and asking yourself if you want something different in your work life it's also you know asking yourself what working patterns do you want you know you see lots of stories now of people saying actually I don't want to work. I don't want to be in the office from 8 to 9 mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to work flexible hours. I want to have time to pursue my my hobbies. You know, and these you know, this these are non-parents that mm-hmm. we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just taking us away from this very masculine energy yes. of striving, striving at all costs. Yeah. because when i think about it in terms of our work life i really equate it to um like it's the sort of um peak manifestation of this masculine energy is capitalism mm. so i'm not saying that we should all be socialists or anything like that what i'm saying is that we need to realize that um or we need to create space to think about whether or not there's another way that suits us more still enables us to make the money that we need make the money that we want but experience everyday joy so do you get that sense of everyday joy by being in the office as you're saying from 8 till 9 so that you can keep up to everything which you probably can't keep up with anyway and um putting the hours in so you're conforming to presenteeism and you're looking like you're doing all this work 
or do you want to have a life where you can work smarter? I'm not saying that it will be easier, but you'll work smarter and create times where you can experience everyday joy, where you can do these things that give you joy without too much of a compromise or in some cases any compromise with your earnings. And I, I think it's such a powerful conversation that certainly in the U, UK is starting to happen where people are questioning working structures and asking themselves, will this bring me joy? Will this get me to where I really want it to be? And yeah. it's not simply a conversation about money. It's a conversation about emotional well-being, yes. Yes. physical well-being. Yes. And I see women on Instagram and I see, you know, the changes that they've made in their lives. And, you know, like you look at someone like Mother Pucker. Yes. And all the work that she's doing about, you know, flex appeal. Yes. Yeah. And asking the questions about, you know, what what, what ways, what are the best working structures? Mm -hmm. You know, why do we have to be present to have this presenteeism? Mm -hmm. can't, can't, isn't there another way? Because what we're doing, it's not working. No, well, it, it might isn't. work for some people. I can't make a blanket statement like that. But when you're seeing all the statistics that show the increase in things like depression and um, anxiety, diabetes, strokes, heart attack, all those sorts of things, we're working against ourselves. And it's like we need to do almost a full circle hard reboot to think we are better off when we are looking after ourselves so that we can do these things rather than thinking that we need to do these things because they validate us so i so agree we what are we asking ourselves the question what are we really really working for exactly are we working and because and the other thing that is really interesting to me when we're thinking about this coasting through, you have people who are very driven, who are very focused, and they are climbing up that career ladder like nobody's business. But they are not climbing, oh, I'm not seeing people that are climbing in a way that's giving them freedom. They are climbing and they're becoming saddled with more responsibility. So the car gets fancier, the house gets bigger, the holidays, which you're taking your laptop on to continue doing work because you've got so much to do, the holidays get slicker, they get more expensive. So rather than scaling up the ladder to give you freedom to enjoy, you're scaling up the ladder to become more burdened. So you need to keep scaling up the ladder to keep up with your burden rather than scaling up the ladder to give you freedom. Yeah. And, and, and at what, at what cost? <coughs> Excuse me. At the cost yeah. of your health, your relationships. Yeah. And I don't just mean romantic. I mean, all your human relationships. You, I had this really in, interesting conversation with a friend who she, she used to work in media and she was talking about how she was working really long hours and she would get to the weekend and she would be so tired and she would buy things to make herself feel better mm -hmm. and to justify not 
um, not having any time for herself mm -hmm. in the week. Mm -hmm. And no, I'm not against money. I'm not against working by any means, mm -hmm. but I am. I want. I love the idea now that people are questioning the way they work, the yeah. way they earn money, yeah. and they're building in considerations of their physical and mental well-being. Yes, because. You know, you you touched on it a bit earlier. Stress is a killer. Absolutely. And it's corrosive and it contributes to so many health problems. You know, stress, you know, on chronic stress means chronic cortisol um, production. And you have women who are working these jobs and they're striving, striving always on, always on their mobiles. And then they decide that they want to get pregnant and they can't mm. because what happens when you're chronically stressed and you're chronically producing cortisol is that that takes away from sex hormone production. Because so, your body is using what you would use for your sex hormone production to sort of counteract the stress or something? To make cortisol <coughs> because Sorry. they all come from they're all made from cholesterol right so you're if you're producing excess cortisol yeah you're not going to be producing pregnenolone which is like the mother hormone for progesterone so you know once you but it's just people don't it's not a conversation that is had about stress and its effect on mm. fertility stress and its effect on on hormones and but it's it's hugely damaging yeah this is why these conversations for me are so important and um you know people be like oh well it's a podcast but i think that the narratives you hear really shape your belief system and if we're not talking about these things our beliefs are based on things that aren't serving us. And, mm. you know, people say things, um, oh, well, you know, it's, it's a clothing brand. You've got the, the clothing elements of things. But what I'm talking about is more considered shopping. So when you were talking about people that use um, like retail or purchasing things as a form of uh, a temporary boost to their mental health it's very very temporary it comes crashing down and I know so many women who have got wardrobes and cupboards full of beautiful things but they keep once they've finished on that high and that buzz of buying this thing this thing stays in the wardrobe it very rarely sees the light of day and you come back to feeling that sense of lack and still feeling stressed or you've bought that really beautiful um, Christian Dior bag but you're carrying that Christian Dior bag but and inside yourself you're still carrying that stress and yeah and for what you know you've got a beautiful bag but you're still stressed mm. you still have this stomach pain you have anxiety so it's a quick fix yeah. and it'll make you feel better in the moment yeah. but not, not in the long term. No. <sighs> Lenise, I could talk to you all day long, <laughs> all day long, but <clears throat> unfortunately I cannot. In my mind, I'm thinking something has to happen. We need to con continue this conversation in a face-to-face -face arena. 
I would love that. I, I think it would be so magical. This this conversation has really filled me up, man. Damn. <laughs> really, really. So <clears throat> if people want to be able to work with you, find out more about what you're about, how can they get in touch with you? So on social media, my um, it's, my handle is Eat Love Move. Mm-hmm. And my website is eatlovemove.com. And so you can find me there. And I have a really good, great Facebook group called Embrace Your Hormones. It is very good. Yeah. <laughs> and I just use that as a way, as a forum for women to ask questions about their hormones and also just to give women information that they may not have been aware of. Mm -hmm. And um, can people just type um, embrace your hormones in Facebook and it will come up? Yes. Or you can go to my Facebook page, which is eat, love, move nutrition, Mm -hmm. and you can join from there. Okay. Okay. Do you have anything coming up that we need to know about? Any workshops, any special things going on in your clinic? Because you do actually have a clinic in West London. Yes, I do. I um, In May, I'm going to be doing um, some hormone health reviews. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in in signing up for one of, a, one of those, just drop me an email. So it's Lenise, L-E, N-I-S-E at eatlovemove.com. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. We will definitely do that. Oh, Denise, I'd like to say a huge, massive thank you for spending a big chunk of your morning with me. Um, this has been such a fulfilling conversation. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for having me on. It was wonderful. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the 360 podcast. We can continue the conversation on social media using the hashtags Live360 and Everyday Joy. I hope to see you on my social media channel. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, like, comment, rate, and share this podcast wherever you're listening. 360 Conversations is produced by me, Tammy Thomas. Podcast music produced by James Anderson. I look forward to engaging with you next time. 